We read a portion of the 17th chapter of, of the Luke's Gospel, and if we started at verse 1 instead of verse 5, you would have seen something that would have probably bothered you. Uh, it bothers me, and it is what it is. Um, and that is that there's really no consistent kind of word here from verse 1 to verse 10. Uh, they're like these pithy kind of sayings. And then after verse 10, it's, and Jesus start, started on his way to Jerusalem. And it's almost as if Luke has a few wonderful little nuggets from the Lord Jesus, and he hasn't put them anywhere else, and he puts them here at the end of this section to get them in. And so it's not a bad thing necessarily, it's just a little bit unnerving because you're just kind of wondering, what does this verse have to do with that verse? And even the commentators will say, there's no real connection. It's just like they were plop, 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 plop. There are four of them there, or five, in those ten verses, and then he's on his way to Jerusalem. And so a new section begins. So what I like to do is uh, grab onto one nugget to avoid any confusion and grab a nugget that um, resonated in, the, in Psalm 37 today, resonated in Habakkuk or Habakkuk, uh, that which you have uh, been reading, some of you who are in life groups, uh, the, one of the minor prophets, and resonates in a portion of this uh, gospel reading. And what I uh, obviously, as the screen says, t- tells you, is the gold nugget is something to do with faith. Habakkuk's reading this morning ends, and it's one of the great testaments in Habakkuk that is easy. You just read right on by. I'm so delight- delighted that this lectionary has chosen to stop there so you can't read any further in Habakkuk in the second chapter. Remember, this is Habakkuk's complaint in chapter 1. Lord, why do sinners' ways prosper? And good people seem to get punished. I don't get it. And the Lord answers that complaint, and and, um, Habakkuk doesn't like his answer and says, Are you kidding? That's your answer? And so then the Lord gives another answer, and then Habakkuk comes to that revelation that all good people finally come to. The righteous will live by faith. You all know I enjoy Eugene Peterson, and he translates this passage in this way. Uh, But the person in right standing before God through loyal and steady believing is fully alive, really alive. The righteous will live, really live, when you have your faith. Now, we live in a culture where there is a lot of faithlessness. I can celebrate and congratulate you that you are sitting here this morning because your faith brings you here. The willingness to be here and to sit and to listen, to offer and to worship and to receive the bread and wine in a few minutes, all are statements of your faith. You may be a seeker in some fashion. You may have lots of questions still, but your faith brought you here. Think of what Paul says about this in Corinthians. He says, faith, hope, and love. These three abide. You know that old Geritol, terrible commercial on the one hand, Geritol. Who wants to take Geritol? But uh, when you got your health, you've got just about everything is the bottom line. And there is truth in that. And I would offer a more profound and deeper spiritual truth. When you've got your faith, you've got just about everything. And yes, the greatest of these is love, Paul says, but faith, 
hope and love, these three abide. And faith is first in that order of those three choices. He didn't have to start with faith. He could have started with love. Simply say that, yes, love is important. But hope is important. But faith is so important. The three of these are really intertwined in some intricate, wonderful way that supports and builds up the other. If you've got these three in your heart, you've got it. You can stand against any assaults of the enemy and any assaults of the world if you've got these three. Faith, hope, and love. And Habakkuk says this morning, and the psalmist says it as well. We don't have time to go back to Psalm 37, but if you think about it, read it when you get home. Because he's also got the complaint, why do sinners' ways prosper? And he keeps on coming back to faithfulness is the key. Faithfulness is the key. Do you believe? Now I want to press a little further on that gold nugget this morning and uh, ask a, a, another question uh, and, and ask it this way. Believe in what? What? do you believe in? And of course, the simple and easy answer, which is always right in any Sunday school class, if you're not sure where the answer is, just say Jesus is the answer. And you probably, you know, you get patted on the back by your Sunday school teacher. Well, that's close. That's very good, honey. Yes, we all love Jesus. And, uh, but but uh, let's go a little further with this and say, belief in what? And I want to offer that there are three vital truths to believe in, to trust in, to embrace. And the first one is belief in the promises of God. Faith in God's promises. Trust in God's promises. Belief in God's promises. You do not realize it because you have taken upon your life in such a, a wonderful way, in such a long way, most of you, if not all of you, that you don't realize that really what lets you move and live and have your being is you believe, contrary to the world, in God's promises. Now, I can't name them all this morning. They are the scripture is just overflowing with them, but let me just tag four that uh, that just uh, are foundational, and is why is when you believe, uh, you really are alive. Faith in His presence. After all, Jesus said, "I am with you always, even to the end." Jesus says, "Whenever two or three gather together in My name, there am I." Life groups, Alpha small groups, Hallelujah. When two or three are gathered, there am I. Jesus says, when you break this bread and share this cup, I will be there among you as well. Faith and belief in his presence. And also faith and belief in his forgiveness. The promise of his forgiveness. Or we would be weighted down with the burden of our misbehavior and miscalculations and stupid decisions and stupid things that we have done in our life way down with the accumulated pile of them once we look at them and feel so ashamed. And Jesus says, I forgive you. And whatever cost needs to be paid for that, I'm going to pay that, that, that ultimate cost. So First um, John will say, if we confess our sins, we've got to come clean with the Lord. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, it's a rather, I mean, it, it's a bit of an offensive thought, but um, um, it's a bit gross. But um, the blood of the Lamb is what we're talking about. The blood poured over our lives purifies us and cleanses us and gives us the assurance of being right with God and no longer separated from Him 
and the assurance of life eternal as well. Faith in His promises, His presence, His forgiveness, and His Holy Spirit. Have you ever felt powerless? I have. I'm sure you have at times in your life felt powerless. Do not forget that the Lord Jesus promised that He would send what the Father had promised Him and us. And He tells the early disciples, He says, Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Disciples, you will not be able to do the work you've been called to do until you are clothed with power. Brothers and sisters, you will not be able to do the work you've been called to do to be a parent, to be a spouse, to be an employer or employee in a godly fashion until the Lord gives you the power to do what you need to do. His promise. And finally, heaven. Life eternal. Someone you love dearly who comes to the gate of death and then goes through the gate of death. And they knew the Lord Jesus. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you will be also. I'll come back and take you to be with me. Thank you, Lord, for your promises. Mom or dad, son or daughter, best friend, grandparent, relative. He says, I've got it covered forever. Faith in God's promises, presence, forgiveness, power, and life eternal. What do we believe? What are we to trust in? Well, not only faith in God's promises, but faith in God's morality. You know, this is a very cynical world and a very skeptical Western culture as well. And unfortunately, I worry about young adults uh, in their 20s and 30s uh, not necessarily anyone in here, but those who are not here. And they're not anywhere this morning except sleeping in after a night of having too much this or that and just li- li- living a rather directionless life because they said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't have any impact on anything and kind of a, just that kind of lostness kind of value. And uh, God's morality says, no, there's right and wrong. There is right, and as you seek to live it, it is life-giving and wrong. And if you live in that direction, you're free to make the decisions that take you that way. But it will be ultimately self-destructive for you. Don't do it. To trust in God's morality, to trust in His right or wrong, is to say you are not the arbiter of that. You are not the one who decides what is right or wrong. You learn from the Lord and through His words what is right and what is wrong and say, I'm not going to cheat on that exam because it is not right. God's morality tells me it's not right. I'm not going to cheat on this tax return. I'm not going to be dishonest with this individual and tell them something that's not true. I'm not going to lie. Somebody said once that you can reduce life to simply this. Tell the truth and do the right thing. You do those two things, the rest will take care of itself. Try it. It's harder than you think to intentionally tell the truth always and do the right thing. Give it a try. Faith in God's morality. And finally, faith in God's plan. There's a purpose. There was a purpose in creation. It got messed up by humankind's rebellion. God's purpose in his creation was so important that he redeemed the creation through his son Jesus so that it could go to its proper end and conclusion in time, in his time. 
but faith in God's plan for your life. That you are a part of his plan. Do you realize how many people believe that there's, there, it doesn't matter what they do because there's no plan for my life? I'm just random chaos, you know, put together in some, and it doesn't matter. Faith in God's plan is say, he has a purpose for my life. He wants to use me for this task. It's maybe, I mean, we forget how simple it is, but simply called to be a mother or called to be a father. The commitment to that. Called to be an honest and hardworking employer, grateful for the job we have and offering our best to the company, whatever the company is. And plan for your life. You know, Jeremiah, that very popular uh, 29th chapter quotation, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. That is spoken into a place of darkness and despair that Jeremiah is experiencing and his people are experiencing And God says into that darkness, he speaks a word for them to trust and embrace. For I know the plans I have for you. In spite of all evidence to the contrary, I have a plan for you. And it will ultimately bring you to prosperity and richness. So, brothers and sisters, the righteous really do live by faith. Or as Eugene Peterson says, The person in right standing before God through loyal and steady believing is fully alive. Really alive. Now, in that context, the question the disciples ask of Jesus on this day has a great deal of relevance for us as well. What did they say in today's gospel reading? Lord, increase our faith. More faith means more life. More trust in him means more fullness for you. More belief means more abundance for your life. Believe. Trust in his promises. They're solid. Believe. Trust in his morality. You will make the world a better place by living for him in that context. And believe in God's plan. He's got a purpose for your life. My mother-in-law is 97 years old. She's blind. She cannot hear well. She's experiencing some degree of dementia now in this last year of her life. We've just moved her to the village here in Somerville. And um, she's a faithful long-living, faithful Christian. Is there purpose for her life too? Does God still have a plan for her that she's still here at 97 years old? She's ready to go to heaven. She's asked the Lord to let her check out, and he has said not yet, apparently. But my grandch- her grandchildren, they know there's purpose for her. They still adore sitting with her and just having her Um, make her quips and remarks and her incredible sense of humor. And just the example she is to all of us of how to live faithfully even at 97 years old when your mind is going and your eyes have gone and your hearing's almost gone. God has a plan for her as well. I know he has a plan for you. Lord, increase our faith. Yes, indeed. Amen.